Hi everyone and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next free online business assessment, enabling you to pinpoint what your business needs you to fix next. Business tips to help you level up and scale up. Hi everyone, I'm Simon from Sterling Coaching and welcome to this podcast episode in which I'm joined by Julia Stock from Somerset who described herself just before the recording started as a a business revolutionary and I sense from the way that she said it and she said things like I get up to no good that there's a little bit of a mischievous um, streak to Julia that I'm sure we'll find out more about. Good to have you on the podcast Julia. Thank you so much Simon it's lovely to be here. Tell the listeners a little bit about you and what happens in Julia's mischievous world. So I run a consultancy called Be Astute um, which is a lovely vague name that allows me to wrap almost anything I like into that um, mm. But fundamentally, it's what we want our clients to be, is astute business leaders and business owners. Great. Um, So they would come to us for really pragmatic kind of coaching advice, training on how to have a better relationship with their business. Um, So we call ourselves business revolutionaries um, because we're looking to support people to revolutionize how they work and it might be a little revolution or it could be actually you know what let's head off in a completely different direction marvelous yeah um there's that little streak yep absolutely you know so um i love ambitious business owners who kind of come to me going i'd like to treble the size of my business in the next two years bring it on um and that brings up a whole host as you would know from your own work of issues, problems, excitements that people have never met before because they've not done this before. It's an adventure, yeah. it's brand new, it's exciting. We're hanging on by our fingertips. Um, and so you're like, great, okay, what does that look like? What does yeah. that involve? And okay, you're going to have to take on a whole bunch of new staff. How are you going to be managing the quality? How are you going to be making sure you're recruiting the right people? How are you going to be managing those people? And you want to treble the size? We need to treble the effectiveness of your current sales process. Because it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're changing everything, then you are changing everything. So it might seem like a little revolution, but actually to the person, it is really something quite big and exciting. And it's just so cool to be involved in that. And I think the word revolution inspires both excitement in people, but also a little bit of fear and intrepidation about change. You know, it feels that something significant is happening, doesn't it? And we often use the word change in businesses. And I think people dumb it down where revolution doesn't feel like something that should be dumbed down. It feels like something significant and we need something significant to get the results that we've got, whether it's a small significance or a large significance. And I know listeners, that's even a contradiction in terms, but it sounds good. So I I feel that's the way this conversation is going to go now. So we're we're good with that. Yeah. Revolution has that hint of 
yeah, I want to make significant changes to how I go about doing things, either yeah. because I've got myself some ambition. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people who start in business kind of start with being self-employed. And then after two to three years, they get ambition, don't they? And yeah. suddenly want to go from being self-employed and being the only employee to actually no, I've got something good here mm. and I want to go and do something about it. Oh, Lordy, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, to people who have accidentally come across, you know, something really exciting and it's all got out of hand and they need help in reining yeah. it back in and shoving it back in the box. So yeah. lots of streamlining and getting it under control so we can then go and grow yeah. again. Um, and it's, inter it's, it's interesting you say that though, because I think, yeah, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt there because, you know, it's quite important what I heard there because many people think revolution is chaos. No. Many, many people think perhaps, you know, from what we see on TV and in movies, that every time we see a revolution, you know, uh, it's beheading, it's, you know, it's all these wonderful things we see from carry on films and everything else. But actually, revolution very often is about gaining control, isn't it? It's about taking that chaos and turning it into control. Yes. Often revolutions happen because of complete dissatisfaction with the status quo. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What is currently happening is not working for us. Let's do it differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. You look at an awful lot of the big revolutions that we've all heard of. They come from this fundamental dissatisfaction with how things currently yeah. are. Okay, and we'll touch on the, the 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 itch a little bit later on, and how we can look at that dissatisfaction. So let's talk about what we're drinking today. So okay. I, I've I've got something quite unique for the listeners today because I've got a a, a Sumatra coffee, oh. which is uh, more of a, a sort of uh, how do you pronounce it? Uh, Arabic? Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. Um, so yes, my first ever try of this. So uh, yeah. it's quite a dark roast. So that's quite quite interesting. Quite novel for me to try something different. I'm very much a sort of blonde roast, holiday roast type person. So Julia, tell us about the the drink that you have because I know you're not drinking coffee today, which is perfectly permissible. But tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you're drinking and why. Uh, so on my desk, I have two things. I have my big glass of water because mm -hmm. it's important to hydrate. And the other one is um, I'm a fan of Twining's afternoon tea in the green okay. box. So what does afternoon tea mean? I mean, for many of the listeners, they just think tea is tea or tea is green or it's some kind of herbal tea. Tell us a little bit about what afternoon, afternoon tea is a normal brown tea blend. Um, yeah. It just has less of an aftertaste than perhaps um your breakfast tea okay. um i just found that the breakfast tea kind of became cloying after a while and yep. this one doesn't have that um but yes mm. it does lead to some miscommunications in the tea aisle when i'm going we need green tea bags meaning i need my green <laughs> box of afternoon yeah. tea bags and my husband's looking around for you know some random chai blend of yeah, something. yeah. Like, no um, fundamentally, Tetley is a lovely tea brand for yeah. me. Yeah. So it's, so it's interesting you, you describe the afternoon tea there because I think that's very much like you know, I drink coffee. So in the morning, 
I'll go for more of the twangy coffee, more of the the coffee that wakes me up, gives me a little bit of a, a jolt. Mm-hmm. But as the day goes on, that's when I tend to go more into my blonde roast, which I suppose is the afternoon tea equivalent. Something that's a bit easier to drink, doesn't quite have that shock, uh, and just yeah, is a bit smoother and a bit more easy just to get along with in the afternoon. Yep. Um, so. I've never really got into coffee. Tried, failed. Um, fundamentally for me, coffee is great in a coffee and walnut cake. <laughs> right. Yeah, you see, I'm okay until I get the walnuts. I have uh, an allergy to walnuts. So, okay. uh, yeah. yeah, that would be problematic. I struggled with that, yeah. Yeah, anaphylactic shock last time, so I won't give mm. that one again. No, I'll, I'll eat the cake. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I'll have the coffee. You can have the coffee cake. Mm-hmm. So so what's your favourite drink? You know, is is that the favourite drink full stop or do you drink anything different? You know, if you were to have friends around, you know, when we can, because now we can outside as we record this, certainly here in the UK, what, what would your favourite drink be? Even if it's a bit of a tipple. Oh, it would probably would be a tipple. Yeah. Um, so I do like a really long gin and tonic. Oh, um, so yeah, you know, actually, my gin and tonic would be in that size glass. Yeah, um, so and, and, and for the listeners who can't see the video, that's a tall glass, it's a pint pot. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. about actually, it is about half a litre that glass. Yeah, um, so yeah, that's a proper size gin and tonic for me. Fantastic. And I've got to ask the question then favorite gin, any particular brand? I do like the Tanqueray Seville orange gin. Oh, okay. Never tried that. I've seen it in the aisle, but never tried it. It's got a nice taste to it. Yeah. I must admit, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm not a gin fan because that's a bit unfair. Uh, If people give me a choice of gin or whiskey, it's always whiskey. So I tend to stay away from the gins. Not because I dislike it, because actually I do like gin and gin and tonic. But uh, there's always something slightly better on offer of us that I like more when uh, yes. when we can um, do that. I had my best advent calendar any ever um, last Christmas, which I bought myself, um, which was the Fever Tree Gin and Tonic advent calendar. I've never that seen that either. that was a mighty fine way to spend December. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Oh, I've, Listeners, you know what to do this Christmas. If anybody's looking for a gift idea... An alcoholic advent calendar. How great Absolutely. is that? Absolutely. I'm pretty yeah. sure that other brands and, and drinks are available. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm going to search <laughs> them out now. That is for sure. And it's probably one of those things that you can get good deals on at this time of year as well. If you're looking for Christmas presents in April, a good time to get them is now, isn't it? Because they're probably going to be an offer. They probably sold out. Well, it's interesting you say that. We, we had some um, decisions to make at the weekend about buying our next door neighbors uh, some easter eggs and we always buy them easter eggs and for some reason um, we decided to get them something different this year and then we thought no actually we need to go out and get them easter eggs and we went round our local town newark on saturday and every single place had sold out i've never seen it usually they're on offer for 25 pence each on monday yeah. they were sold out not an egg on a store anywhere and it's an interesting question, isn't it? Is everywhere sold out because we undersupplied, mm. um, you know, for some kind of Brexity yeah. reason? Or actually, are we undersupplied because due to COVID, we just all decided we had to have an Easter egg Eat and massively overpurchased? <laughs> yep. 
I must admit, we've bought more chocolate Easter eggs and larger size Easter eggs this year than we did last we year. We are so. all collectively comfort eating. We're in some yeah. really bad habits. Definitely. Comfort eating and comfort drinking. Mm. So going on to the, to the business things, Julia. in your own business, what's been the latest or most significant thing that you've fixed or that you've worked on? Um, I think it's less about fixing things. Um, it's about getting that offering right. Um, so really identifying and being attuned to what people actually need. Um, and you meet it so often with people, and I bet you meet it, um, particularly of people who've got this great idea and it's a great product but yeah. they're not selling what people want to buy because of how they've packaged it or are describing it. Um, okay. And so there's that constant need to be looking at that and go, how we got that packaging right? Um, mm. Are we, because there's so much that we can do. Um, yeah. Are we actually delivering what people want? It's very easy to say we're delivering what people need. Yeah but want and desire completely different. Yeah. And I think you, you've got to sell people what they need, because if you don't, you're doing them a disservice, aren't you? But you've got to attract them on what they want because people, that's what people are looking for, isn't it? You know, they don't often understand what they need, but they know what they want. And that's what they're looking to buy, isn't it? What, yeah, you so, what you sell them might be different, but the packaging is absolutely everything, isn't it? Yeah, because that's what they want. That's what shows them what they what yeah. they actually want. So actually, with quite a few clients, that's the conversation that we're having is they're not getting the sales success that they need, want, and desire because they haven't got the packaging right. Mm. Um, it's not resonating with people. Um, it's coming... and it's really interesting to see who's got the packaging right and who perhaps hasn't. And once you get the packaging right, you're so much closer to success. Yeah. So what kind of difference has it made to you, this realisation about the packaging and focusing more effort on that? Then? Um, well, it's, it's being seen an increase in turnover. Great, um, yeah. Well, that's, it's working. That's it, yeah. Um, I also don't like repetition that much so actually i'm naturally one of those people who wants to keep innovating um mm. wants to keep looking at how you can improve things taking my own medicine um yeah. so that's just partly how i work um and just wanting to have an adventure yeah you know, there's no point in running your own business and putting up with all that nonsense if you can't take it out for a spin and have fun with it yeah yeah um and go off and do things and um you know by training i am a trainer um yeah. i love training um and so the more of that i can be doing yeah. the better um i find being a consultant very frustrating but as a trainer i'm being ignored right consultant being ignored by my client really offends me as a trainer I don't know why it's the same stuff, but as a trainer, it's like, yeah, I'm used to being ignored. It's fine. Training you, yeah, yeah. we're good. Well, you're wearing a different hat, aren't you, as a trainer? You're, in, you're imparting knowledge, and that's your role, you know, to make sure yes. you've imparted the knowledge, that it's understandable, 
and that they've taken it in. Yes. If they do anything with it, then after that, it's up to them. It's like teaching somebody first aid and, you know, um, oh, what's a mouth-to-mouth thing, resuscitation. Yes. You can teach people how to do it, but whether they go out and decide to do it is, is up to them, isn't it? So there is a disconnect there as a trainer, isn't there? You hope they yes would. Yes and no. Yeah. So my background is in apprenticeships and apprenticeships are all about competence in the workplace. Can you do the job? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> actually that underpins all of my programs of how can I help you be better at your job? How yeah. can we create competence? How can we scaffold develop the development of expertise? That's for me is the holy grail yeah. of what I do. Um, so I do hold myself as a trainer to a much higher standard. But that's because you've people. got that blend, haven't you, of all the things you introduced yourself with. If you're just a trainer, and I've been on lots and lots of courses, you know, I've got a whole CV full of certificates that are, of courses I've been on where the only thing the trainer wanted to do was do what you said, give him the knowledge so you can go away and do something with it, but no accountability to do anything with it and Absolutely. no responsibility from them to even be... I won't say not interesting it because that's probably doing a lot of trainers disservice, but there is that disconnect that that's not your job. That's somebody else's job. Yes. It's a real box ticking exercise. And um, so one of the things that I do is support people to improve their training. So often you'll have people who would like to deliver, you know, would like to create an online training course, for example, um, have a great idea. um, Brilliant. Yeah they come and work with me because my job is to make that interesting and engaging and interactive and good. Yeah. Um, And that's where that higher standard that I hold myself to adds real value on the, yeah, yeah, now I'm going to poke prod and generally annoy you to make Hmm. that training as good as it possibly can be. And I mentioned first aid training earlier on. Yeah, I can think of a couple of first aid courses I've been on. One particular, I remember the tutor's name. It was a guy called Joe. And I'm going back 20-something years now. Mm-hmm. And I loved that first aid course. I remember his name because yeah. he made it engaging. He gave us this, not just the knowledge, but he gave us that excitement about doing first aid. That Literally, we got a little packs and we couldn't wait to go out and find an accident where we could treat somebody. <laughs> You know, you but, may but, not run somebody over just so you can. No, no, no. I, we ought to say that for the listeners here. But I think, you know, there are some great trainers out there who have a, a skill of doing that and an aptitude to do that. But yes, uh, and, when and more you should do it. When you see great training, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Famous when you meet a great salesperson, you yeah. just have to admire the yeah. skill of, yeah, yeah you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, to aspire to be that good is a brilliant thing. There are too many people who think that training's easy. Mm. Um, And it's just about standing up or they focus on, I've got this great body of knowledge to impart. Yeah. Therefore, because it's a great body of knowledge, therefore this is going to be brilliant. Yeah. No, there is a whole skill to organizing and conceptualizing it in order to maximize impact i think the worst training i ever had was from a senior executive at something called the construction industry training board yep and this guy 
stood up in front of a set of slides that he quite clearly had never seen before. <laughs> because every slide that came up was a complete surprise to him. And he, he showed it on his face. It was like, oh, okay, I'll talk about that now. Oh, I'll talk about that now. And it was so dreadful. Yeah, there were 70 odd people in the room, some of them you know, quite senior business people in large companies such as Kia's and people like that. And it was just awful because he, he quite clearly was delivering somebody else's content. And they just thought, well, give him the content. He can stand up and he can talk about anything. And, and that's not the case. But um, anyway, I, I want to move on from this because I want to ask you, you said something about, uh, you know, the reason for being in business and doing what you do is to go and have some fun with it. OK, so what does Julia do to have fun either in business or outside of business? What did you mean by that? And what kind of fun do you have? Fun is about being in control of what I do within the business. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, you know, having a one-to-one -one with somebody who's a networking colleague, um, having a random conversation and going, how about we deliver some training together? Um, so this morning I was delivering a seminar on how to nail difficult conversations with people. Um, and I was delivering that as a three-way collaboration um, with a mindset coach who I do a lot of work with because it's yep. just brilliant to have that mindset angle um, and with an HR specialist. It's ah, um, an interesting yeah, mix. Absolutely. But yeah. within managing performance, there is that formal HR yeah, angle. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean by having fun is yeah. I could deliver that on my own it's better by doing it as a collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have the complete freedom to go, yeah, let's do that day after yeah, yeah. because we weren't concentrating on the date. Let's go yeah. deliver that and have some fun with it and organize it and just make it as good as we possibly can do. Fantastic. Great. I'm glad you explained that. So that's, that's good <laughs> to know. So thinking about something that the listeners can take away, so a lesson they can learn, a tip that they can take away from David, they can do something with. Julia, what, what can you share with the listeners today? Um, so I suppose a lot of the stuff we were talking about this morning was around not letting situations fester. Um, okay. Lots of people are conflict averse so yeah. if they have a performance issue either with a client or a member of staff um they tend to not tackle it head on um and that can have a big impact for your personal reputation yeah and we don't necessarily think about that um that people are forming and reforming and evaluating their opinion of us as people, as leaders, as managers all the time. Yeah. Um, so just because you're somebody's boss or employer doesn't mean that they have to respect you and how you operate. And I think mm. we forget that they look at how we are tackling these issues. So if they can see that a member of the team is not performing and yeah. you as their boss are not dealing with that, then their respect for you goes down. Mm, interesting, yeah. Um, and fundamentally, what people don't see is 
the huge connection between recruiting the wrong people, not being fussy enough in who yeah. we're recruiting, and the problems that we have to deal with. So the stats show, I think, 17% of a manager's time is taken up dealing with poor performance. Wow. I, I used to have a saying that um, somebody shared with me when I first started in business. And there were a couple of things. Pay your VAT on time. Yeah. Uh, and hire slowly, but fire quickly. Now, the HR consultant that you were talking to this one might not quite agree with the fire quickly. No? But we should take the time to get the right people. And then if it's not the right person, follow the procedures, follow the, the right methods, but don't let things fester. Don't let people fester as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. your reputation is suffering while you're making the rest of your team's life miserable and dealing yeah. with that. Um, yeah. Just because you don't want to have that conversation because you've convinced yourself that it would be difficult. Um, and constantly praising people does not get them to work harder or smarter or better. Constantly stroking them and making them feel loved doesn't inspire them. Um, in the end, praise has to be earned. It has to be deserved. Um, so being fair with the feedback and not being afraid to go, actually, you know what, Simon? It could have been better if you'd done this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, Simon, that coffee bean wasn't a great choice now, was it? Yeah, I'll tell you later. <laughs> so, um, so for the listeners, you know, uh, I want to ask two questions just to dig a bit deeper in this so they can take something away from it. Um, how do they recognize when something is festering? Yeah, it's a great word. I love that word festering. And I'm sorry if some of the audiences rude. might not know what it is, but <laughs> how, how do you recognize when things are starting to fester? If, if food's starting to fester, it goes rotten. You can smell it, you can taste it, you can see it. But very often in our businesses, a lot of the listeners will probably be asking the question, but I don't know when something's starting to fester. How could you help them with that? I would look at your data systems. Um, okay. So, you know, people might be familiar with the term key performance indicator, KPI. Um, that's your early warning system. Yep. So... And it's about how you build that system so that it actually does show you um, what's going on. Um, it doesn't give you all the answers, but it tells you where to look. Yeah. Um, so, for example, in our old training company, we used to run four numbers every day. Um, okay. The number of people starting training in a month, the number yep. of people finishing, the yep. number of people in training, and the percentage of learners whose funding had run out and we were basically training for free. If you were starting 200 people in a month and you had 100 people finishing in a month, you would expect your number in learning to go up by 100. Yep. That's your early warning system because actually often you might find that the number went down <laughs> because really? yeah, of yeah. other leakages. So learners just dropping out, learners taking a break, all of yeah. these things. So what it was doing is giving you an early warning of things aren't going as they should be. Yeah. I need to go and investigate and yeah. find out more. In that, I will find probably people being too soft um, in terms of going, oh, yeah, that's fine. You can take three months off for an ingrowing toenail. That's not a problem at all. Um, rather than 
again, pushing through having those difficult conversations potentially with yeah. learners around what is the problem? So, yeah, you're then going, okay, we need to look at that. And that might then make you look and have measurements for each individual's performance. Yep. So I can see how many starts you've had, how many people have finished you've had, have your numbers gone up or down? Okay, now I can then have that individual conversation. So you can use the data if you've got a good data system right. to give you the early warning system that allows you to spot potential festerings. Okay. Second part of the question then. Mm -hmm. Once you've spotted it and you've determined that it's, it's festering, what would you say to the listeners that freeze then because they don't know the next step to take? What, what is an easy step? And I know it's different for a lot of different businesses, but I sense you've got a sort of common answer on the tip of your tongue. Um, what can you say to the listeners who just get paralyzed by not knowing what to do next? Okay. So one of the um, tools that I have at my disposal is a brilliant AI talent diagnostic called Harrison Assessment, uh, which we used as the basis for our training this morning. Yep. That shows you the behavioral traits and preferences that we all have, what we enjoy doing um, ah. and how we naturally operate. Um, one of them is how we make decisions. Are we very analytical decision makers or are we intuitive? Yep. It's not an either or. You Success comes actually in being strong and balanced in both. Okay. So where we can be both analytical and intuitive, we will make better decisions. Yep. What you tend to find is most people have a preference towards one or the other. So if you're very analytical, you'll be sitting back looking at this data keeping going keeping going and you'll probably that's where you're more likely to let it fester yeah if you're more intuitive you're much more comfortable and more likely to begin the conversation without all of the information so right. yeah i've noticed that there's a problem let's talk um talking to your staff about it working with them collaborating with them to actually go how can we improve this situation yeah. is going to make it easier rather than sitting there having this formal, you know, first step in the disciplinary process. Here's my big hmm. step. Yeah. Um, there is always a reason why a situation has happened. Yeah. It's not necessarily the reason that the staff member is going to tell you. Perhaps okay. because they haven't made the connection themselves. Yeah. With some people it will because they're lying. Um, <laughs> but often to themselves and you just happen to be a bystander yeah. but actually let's talk about what this is let's break it down let's understand what's going on once yeah. you understand what's going on then you can help come up with a better solution and for Perfect. a lot of business owners managers leaders that problem definition is a weakness in their skill set yeah you can't define it properly, describe it properly. And therefore, it makes it much more difficult to come up with the right, correct solution. That's where you see people, and I'm sure you do. And that's where they get paralysed. Yeah, or it's, you just—it's almost see limbo, people. isn't it? Yeah, or you just see people making those bizarre decisions. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm good. going to go and do this. Why? Yeah. 
yeah. guess. Um, yeah. I'm sure you spend a lot of time with your clients going, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that fundamentally comes from poor problem diagnosis. So you mentioned there one of the tools in your toolkit, which leads me on to my next point of how do the listeners find out more about you? How do they connect with you? If you've got anything that they can have as a resource, download, you know, any giveaways, any opt-ins, any, anything that people can uh, connect with you through? What's the best way uh, to do that? Starting point would be my LinkedIn profile, so Julia Stock. Um, yes. And then go onto the Be Astute website, um so be-astute.co.uk yeah so be-astute.co.uk and it's julia stock s-t-o-c-k yes on linkedin perfect great yeah and i love having chats with people so yeah fabulous yeah as long as there's a very tall gin and tonic involved in it that'd be good wouldn't it we ought to set us or to set a scene there maybe not at nine o'clock on a monday morning <laughs> no i, I did find do... that doesn't optimize performance no i did do one podcast interview with a guy i think he was about episode number four neil giller uh, who was our director consultant of uh, bni networking and yeah he doesn't he does drink coffee but his favorite drink is whiskey so he said well can we talk about whiskey and we both love malt whiskey, as I mentioned earlier on. So we sat at 11.30 on a Friday morning, drinking whiskey, doing Having the podcast. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. it goes back to the fun. And how productive were you by 3pm? Uh, yeah, not so. <laughs> Thankfully, I usually finish by about 2.30. So that was, a, that was probably a good thing. Mm. So listeners, you know how to connect with, with Julia on LinkedIn. You know the website, b-astute.co.uk. We've learned lots of things about not letting things fester, uh, about being revolutionary. And look for those. I love the way the connection there with festering made me think about dissatisfaction, isn't it? Because if something's festering, very often there are people who are dissatisfied. And if you're not the leader of the revolution, somebody else will be. Somebody else will be either ticking your staff, moving out of the business or taking over processes and systems in your business as well so so what you want is for your listeners to be more napoleonic then if uh, they decide that's okay it depends which books they read yes <laughs> absolutely be a dictator why not uh, but i think revolutionary yeah it's about being aware isn't it and it's about doing something with it and uh, yes it depends which side of the thing you're on isn't it really um <laughs> But there are always, I think that's an important point, actually, because there are always two sides. And I think what you shared with there about, you know, not being stuck in that festering mode is actually about looking at both sides, isn't it? You know, it's yes. it's looking at how it's affecting you, but it's also those around you as well. That's important. So uh, and what and you know that by looking at those early warning systems, key performance indicators. Absolutely. Yep. So if you could have. Your next coffee, uh, either in a dream location or some with someone, Julia, because you know we're sort of easing out of lockdown. So the question is easing on this one a little bit. It used to be, where's your next coffee going to be and where? But we've been talking about dream locations. Where's your next tea? Because in your case, it's tea. When's your next drink going to be uh, and, and where? 
Who oh, was I'm, I'm, it's not going to be a tea. Let's go with the full gin and tonic. Gin and tonic, um, yeah. My favourite place in the world would be Venice. Ah, okay. So, Never been to Venice. Venice is amazing. Um, it is my favourite place. And um, yes, there is... Um, yeah, it's got to be done. Gin and tonic, yeah. Venice. Thank you very much. Yeah. Morning or evening? Bear in mind what we just said about drinking gin and tonic too early in the morning. 5.30 in the afternoon, end of okay. the day, just sitting there, mooching. Watching people go by. Yes, admiring just the craziness of the place. Um, right. Yeah. Fantastic. And I've got to ask one final question on that. On your own or would there be somebody else with you? I suppose I ought to take the husband. <laughs> But particularly if he's watching this at any point, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Me. You can hear him laughing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, somebody's got to carry the bags, haven't they? Yeah. Well, somebody's got to pay for the gin and tonic as well, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Probably me that, so he can carry yeah. the bags. He can carry the bags. Amazing. Well, look, you've shared some some great things. We've had some interesting chats about the drinks. Thank you very much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. You've given us some great things to think about when it comes to training and uh, being a revolutionary as well. And most important listeners, go and check out Julia on LinkedIn uh, and on the website, b-astute.co.uk. And thank you very much for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been fabulous. And listeners, as you know, this is part of my mission to help you business owners around the globe become better aware, better educated and talk about what we drink in our businesses too, which we've done that and a little bit of perhaps what we drink outside of our businesses and a G&T and a a whiskey for me as well. So thank you very much for being on this podcast episode and I look forward to having you on the next one. Bye for now. (laughs) 